1: I'm Carl Quintanilla. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Fort and Julia Borston. Deirdre has the morning off. Today we're kicking off November with some top picks across media and cloud. How to play big growth in the space as the Dow, SP, and the NAS hit some record highs today. Then investing in the metaverse. Who will be the key winners and losers across both hardware and software? And then finally, release the Kraken, the $20 billion crypto exchange, taking on Coinbase later this hour. John? Yeah, and
2: we are now one month into Q4. Officially, 82% of S&P 500 companies that have reported so far have beat expectations for earnings. On semi is up 12% right now on some strong results. NXP and Arista Networks after the bell with Uber, Roku, Square, Pinterest. Later in the week, Dom Chu's got
3: a look at some key themes to watch here. Dom? All right, so let's talk about what's been driving the momentum. Where has the momentum been over the course of the past month or so? And for the market overall, it's maybe been where you would expect. For the S&P 500 at record highs that we just hit today, a lot of the movement has come in certain key sectors of the market, namely, in consumer discretionary, and of course in energy. We've seen oil prices going higher over the course of the last several months, arguably since the last year, since the pandemic lows. So if you take a look at the sectors that are doing the best, it has been consumer discretionary. It has been energy. The place that has been the biggest laggard is communication services, and we've highlighted why that weakening momentum in social media has been driving some of that trade. Now, within those stocks that you wanna watch, The ones that have been gaining some of that speed have been in semiconductors. You take a look at some of the big names like NVIDIA, also Tesla and Xilinx. Now, Tesla has been a big driver of that consumer discretionary trend, 63% year-to-date gains there. But then NVIDIA and Xilinx as well, highlighting just how much momentum there has been in certain parts of the semiconductor market. If there's one place that you're going to want to watch, though, in, in the course of the next month of trading, it has generally been some of the places in the market that have seen historically good performances in the month of November over the course of the last several years. One place in particular to watch is the computer networking and wireless equipment type companies. This particular ETF, the iShares S&P GSTN Network ETF, ticker IGN, up one and a half percent today, up about 22 percent year to date. The reason why it's important is, according to data from Bespoke Investment Group, over the last 10 November's. This particular ETF has been up 80% of the time, eight out of the last 10. And it's typically up north of 4.6% on average during those particular years. So watch Carl, Julia, John, computer networking. This ETF, by the way, some of the biggest holdings are companies like John, to your point, Arista Networks. Juniper Networks, Cisco, F5, and others. So watch that particular space, especially in the month of November. Historically, a good performer, guys.
2: Dom, one of the dynamics I'm watching, and I wonder if you're watching it too, is uh, enterprise software versus some of these hardware names that have seen supply constraints. Uh, you mentioned some of the networking names, some of the semiconductor names. Um, for a lot of these semiconductor names, there continues to be strong demand, even if it can't be supplied quite yet. But you know, Microsoft uh, overtook Apple in market cap, which kind of happens uh, every once in a while, one might argue, arguably on the strength of its enterprise software and cloud business. And of course, we also had Atlassian last week report such strong growth. And that's a software enterprise collaboration and DevOps company. Uh, When you're moving bits and not atoms, you don't have the same supply issue.
3: No, you do not, because it's a virtual chain right there, and there's there's no physical chain to deal with. But I would also tell you, John, and you and I have both watched this, The market has been seeing this play out for a while now. It's one of the reasons why you've seen a lot of those enterprise technology names really outperform some of the key parts of the hardware market. So it's not that investors have been kind of uh, ignoring it. They've been the exact opposite. They've actually been pouring money into many parts of those markets. And they've been doing so, especially in those mega cap type names, the ones that provide the most safety cushion or perceived safety versus some of the smaller names out there. So yes, enterprise software is key, but size is also a big part of that trade so far. It has been those mega CAD companies that have done really well, John, in that entire enterprise software trade.
4: Yeah, Dom, I'm curious for your insight into the long tail impact of some of these supply chain issues on the advertising market. We were starting to hear about it and some of the earnings we've heard so far, particularly from Snap, the idea that there could be a pretty meaningful pullback from advertisers in the all important fourth quarter. What's your sense of how broad that impact can be in terms of the impact in the advertising market and all those ad supported companies?
3: Well, what's interesting about that is there have been many advertising or media type companies over the course of the last several months that have actually outperformed. If you take a look at that, it might be this this anticipation, Julia, if you will, that these supply chain issues do end up getting resolved at some point in the future and that advertisers can feel comfortable spending that money on advertising because they feel like their supply chains can actually support getting product to market and having people buy them. But one of the big things to watch right now, of course, is whether or not a lot of that is being priced in already. There have been some names that have been doing so well that it's hard to say what exactly is the expectation for just how positive things could be. I would note, though, if you look at the online advertising market, there's a difference between just, say, the social media side of things versus some of the traditional marketing channels that we've, we've come to know. And, and that's going to be something key to watch is whether or not the social media side of things really is that kind of ultra levered way to play or to take pessimistic views on what's happening overall, guys, with the advertising market.
1: Uh, Dom, it leads us right into our next guest. Thanks for the setup, sure. our Dominic Chu. We will stay with the advertising theme. Morgan Stanley named Spotify a top pick in the media space. Bernstein also upgrading the stock this morning, new $280 price target. And joining us on that call, Morgan Stanley's Benjamin Swinburne. Ben, it's always great to see you. Good morning.
5: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
1: I want to get to spot in particular, but in, can you begin by giving us the backdrop on where you think the ad market is headed? And is it slowing faster than you expected? This journal piece today uh, interviewing the likes of Hershey, where they say, what's the point basically in sure. advertising if our goods aren't going to be on the shelf?
5: Yeah, no, it's a look, it's a, it's a big topic, especially as we head into the holidays here, which is the biggest part of the year from an advertising perspective. There's no question supply chain risk exists, particularly for those who sell goods. I think in general, though, the ad market is overall quite strong. Uh, we expect the ad market in the United States this year to grow almost 30%, but there are pockets, and it could be big, around goods and particularly performance ads. Think about bottom-of-funnel advertising, where there probably is some risk around the holidays relative to the expectations we've had. I do think, for your last conversation, we've seen a lot of that price in the stocks, um, and there are parts of the ad market, particularly top-of-funnel brand, um, and think of things like sports betting that are incredibly strong. So I think there will be companies that will actually have a pretty good fourth quarter when we think about advertising, despite all the supply chain noise.
1: And I guess that leads us to Spot, which I assume uh, your, your interest is peaked because they are leaning so heavy into that, that part of the business.
5: Yeah, I think there's two key points to make on how uh, we think Spotify can outperform from here. You know, The first is they need to accelerate their user growth. They had a tremendous year in 2020 This year has been a little slower, but we think with a more mobile consumer, going back to work, going to the gym, commuting, plus music being released because artists can tour, will drive engagement and that adds up. And then second to our last conversation is really about advertising. They had a really strong quarter last week when they reported. Podcasting is a huge part of that. And it's so critical for Spotify because it's a source of gross margin expansion. And I think because podcasting is so new, And also, frankly, small today, it's going to power right through all of the macro issues we were just talking about.
4: Yeah, Ben, there was so much talk on the call about podcasting and about how that's really what's driving the growth and also enabling them to avoid some of these other issues, such as the broader ad pullback. But I'm wondering how much of your thesis on Spotify is about this company becoming more than just a music company and how much video plays into that as well.
5: Yeah, it's absolutely key. I mean, music is a great business in that the market has already largely transitioned to streaming. So, we think about it and compare it to video, music is much further along in the evolution to streaming. But for Spotify, you know, the margins on music are only going to be so good. They're in the, you know, call it 60 cents on the dollar, going back to rights holders like the music label. So, they've got to build businesses on top of that. And I think the really good news this year, which frankly got masked in all the MAU noise this year has been that they've started to do that. Podcasting is one, uh, and the other is Marketplace, which is really about building a kind of B2B business with labels and artists to help promote their business. I think video plays a role, but I think podcasting and, and the, the services side of the business are where we're really seeing traction right now.
2: Hey, Ben. Uh, it's John Ford. Good morning. Fair to think of the troubles in the digital ad market right now in terms of supply and demand also that it's not a demand problem where there's a, a fall off in demand for digital advertising, but rather the supply of inventory that you can target in a meaningful and predictable way has dropped. And maybe that's why we've seen Apple's search ad share in the app store rise because companies are trying to find other methods. Because, I mean, if that's what's going on, then we should expect as uh, companies adopt new tools, new methods that this should shift over the next couple quarters, right?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think what what has made investing in in sort of this whole space over the course of the last two years so tricky is it's so hard to know what's a secular trend versus COVID related, which is including the supply chain stuff. Um, and I think if you think about last year's fourth quarter, it was one of the strongest quarters, you know, for the consumer and e-commerce and performance marketing ever. Uh, and we're lapping that. And so to your point, as we move into 22, things will normalize. And I think for advertising companies that play and all over the funnel, top and bottom, you'll see these things normalize as we move into 22.
1: Hey, finally, Ben, when you talk about podcasts being relatively new, I mean, the number of podcasts on Spotify has gone from half a million to three million in a a couple of years. Where do you think it starts to get too much?
5: Um, Well, I don't think there is such a thing as too much content. Uh, That's that's coming from the media analyst here at Morgan Stanley. But I, I think that when you step back, We're still only at about roughly a third of Americans, just to pick this country, listening to podcasts on a weekly basis. And uh, we think that can be over, you know, the majority, and this can go mass media, which I think would be incredibly powerful for the industry, for advertisers, um, and also for Spotify.
1: Fascinating. Uh, Ben, always good to have you. Thanks so much for your time.
5: Thank you.
2: After a sunny week of quarterly results for names like Alphabet and Atlassian, we got a breakdown of the key winners and losers in the cloud. Next, tech checks just getting started.
6: What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member
7: SIPC. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda
0: just write itself?
7: Words appear, making this unexplainable case...
0: Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds.
7: Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now.
0: Canva.com.
1: Designed for work. Let's get a gut check on a few EV names. Morgan Stanley names its favorite EV stock, and it's not Tesla, Tesla. They see Ferrari expanding aggressively into the space. Price target 265 says the company's technical capability, compelling design, access to capital are just some of the reasons why Ferrari could be one of the best plays. Shares are up 15 percent in the past month. Meanwhile, Tesla's foot still on the gas as well. The stock up another four percent almost today, adding to the gains last week of more than 20 percent. Last week also marked the stock's 10th positive week in a row. And on a dollar basis, John, uh, basically burying all other big cap names in terms of volume.
2: Yeah. And lest you think, what does Ferrari know about tech? Remember, Apple's Eddie Q is on the board at Ferrari. Got to bet that he's giving some advice there. Now, let's turn to cloud stocks. Big three, AWS, Microsoft, Azure, Google Cloud, which make up roughly 70% of the cloud market, all saw major revenue gains this past quarter. But smaller competitors like ServiceNow and Atlassian also reported big gains. Atlassian's nearly doubled year to date is now the top performing tech stock in the NASDAQ, overtaking NVIDIA in terms of uh, growth there in the stock price. Let's break down the biggest winners in the space with investor, former SAP president, VMware COO Sanjay Poonen. Sanjay, good morning. Good to see you. I want to start with Atlassian. It's such an interesting company to me because it's based in Australia. We don't talk about it enough. And it's got this flipped model where they spend less on sales and marketing, more on R and D—that sort of product-led software movement—but they're still growing really fast. What's your take?
8: Yeah, John, um, Julianne, and Carl, good to see you all. I've been following this company for a while, and I really like uh, the Australians down under and what they've done there. This company has quietly become—you know—a hundred billion-plus market cap. Who would have thought? On roughly two or three billion of revenue, they've really believed in no enterprise sales reps for a long time, just organic growing from sort of a bottoms up, really around one product year, and now they've got more products, and have like the order of 120,000 customers. And it's really a lesson, which is one of the key aspects of what I saw in this quarter's earnings and sort of through the pandemic, that these companies Atlassian, Intuit, HubSpot, that have been focused on mid-market companies. And I think several of you on the show have made this point. Mid-market companies are looking for ways to digitally transform and their IT departments are zero or one person. So they need help of these sort of companies that can self-start, do it on your own. And Atlassian with Jira is a classic example of a company that's been doing this for thousands of customers. And it's great to see their stock run up over the last uh, six to 12 months.
2: Now, let's flip this around, though, and, and look at uh, a, a bigger cloud company, specifically Google Cloud, uh, where Thomas Kurian has been focusing a lot on building up the sales force over there. Uh, their growth perhaps not you what you would have hoped for uh, over this quarter, they just reported, but you think that's a one-off?
8: Yeah, I think, listen, if you look at the big three clouds, AWS, Azure, and Google, AWS grew 39%, uh, Azure 49%, Google a little slower, 45%. But if you look at what's called a, reform, a remaining performance applications or backlog, they all have a very healthy backlog. So my suspicion is that Maybe they just had a one quarter um, aspect of customers deploying that may have slowed down a little bit. I see no material change. Sundar Pichai did talk about industry solutions. John, you've made this in your previous show as a point that as one of the reasons they differentiate, um, you know, um, that AWS folks talked about ML and AI is one of the key reasons they differentiate. And Azure Satya Nadella talked about the breadth of the portfolio as the reason they differentiate so Collectively, these three are $120 billion in total revenue, growing 43%. That's amazing. That's never happened in the tech world ever before.
4: Yeah, really interesting, Sanjay. You know, while we have you here, I want to make sure to get your thoughts on the security space. We can't talk about cloud without talking about growing demand for security as well. How do you see those players competing right now? Which are best positioned?
8: Yeah, Julia, I think if you look at the security space, this is now a boardroom topic. In the past, it was sort of an esoteric topic of chief security officers and maybe some audit committees. But now every boardroom is sort of petrified by the threat vector that has been so pervasive from, you know, Petra and WannaCry to most recently Colonial Pipeline and SolarWinds. And, you know, you're seeing a new set of companies that are emerge. And I, in, if you follow me on Twitter, uh, I post some of the top 100 tech names that I follow on both the public and the private in my pinned tweet. And then Uh, A few days ago, I also posted the six or seven security companies I track. By market cap, the biggest of them are CrowdStrike, Fortinet, Palo Alto, Okta, Zscaler, and Cloudflare. And those six are doing really well the past year, but the standout ones are clearly ones like CrowdStrike and Cloudflare in their areas. And I don't think there's going to be one security company that owns the entire platform. Microsoft in their comments said they're trying to build a $10 billion security business going 40%. But these six or seven key security players are best of breed in their area. And the threat vector is actually going deeper into areas like source code. And I think there's going to be new companies. I just joined the board two weeks ago of a company named SNCC that's focused on developer security, where it's examining the source code, often often open source source code, to uh, look for vulnerabilities. That's actually what happened at SolarWinds. So, Julia, I think there's going to be a bright horizon for both these public six or seven companies I identified and dozens and dozens of other security companies on the private side that are going to emerge over the next couple of months and quarters.
1: Sanjay, you mentioned Nadella, and he did say uh, in the recent days his view that corporates are investing in the cloud really to increase productivity and offset inflationary pressure. I wonder if you think if, if the inflation narrative got flipped, if these supply chain issues got ironed out, if we wound up with uh, more of a glut than a, than a shortage, where would the urgency come from uh, for corporates to continue investing in CapEx?
8: Yeah, I think that's a good point, Carl. I thought it was really interesting that, you know, Satya Nadella was sort of talking like a state's person of a country when he talked about deflationary pressures and and being an offset to inflation. And he's really, when you think about the transformation he's done at Microsoft over the last 70 years that he's been CEO, so he has that platform to be able to talk about that. I think, again, if you're a small company, the world is about 5,000 big companies and 10 million small companies. If you're a small company with a small IT department, Um, I mean, how do you deal with all these supply chain issues? You move faster in the cloud. Um, And if you're a bigger company, you could certainly basically get, you know, arbitrage pricing from potentially bigger companies. If we want to run things on-prem, you may have a legacy of on-prem infrastructure. But even then, as you see the big governments moving to the cloud, um, I think the cloud actually gets a favored nation status of many of the early forms of what they need, whether it's chips. In many cases, they're building their own chips. They, they, so they've kind of insulated themselves some from some of these supply chain issues as it relates to their own infrastructure, but they're not completely vulnerable. Um, and I'm going to be very interested in seeing the shift. It's a $1 trillion IT market that's gradually moving increasingly fast to infrastructure as a service companies like Amazon, Azure and Google and in China, Alibaba, and increasingly to SaaS companies like Salesforce uh, and Adobe and Workday and ServiceNow in the, uh, in the application space.
2: All right. Sanjay Poonen with Deep Insight. We appreciate it. Thank you.
8: Thank you, John. That
1: was fantastic. Meantime, theater chain AMC says admissions revenue in October was the highest since the start of the pandemic, February 2020, a sign of normalcy returning. Not normal, of course, is the fact that since February 2020, AMC also became a meme stock, shares up 400 percent since then. Melissa Lee is here with that story and a CNBC digital documentary on how the AMC apes cracked Wall Street. Hey, Mel.
6: Hey, Carl, this documentary takes a deeper dive into the so-called apes, retail investors, many of whom think of themselves as not just owners of AMC stock, but also part of a bigger social movement. It's an incredible story that we have all watched unfold over the past year as millions of investors have piled into the stock, taking over 80 percent of the theater chain's float and giving AMC CEO Adam Aaron an opportunity to save the company. I asked Aaron what he thought of AMC's market cap and his plans for the future. Here's a part of what he had to say.
9: We have a massive valuation of our company right now, and we need to grow into that valuation. And I think a way to do that is to expand the appetite of AMC and reach beyond just being a pure movie theater play and do other things as well in the future as we did movie theaters in the past. We have a lot of ideas on that score, and I think as the next six, 18, 30 months play out, you'll see AMC branching out and doing more interesting things. And that will be the definition of success.
6: And the apes have given Aaron a billion dollar lifeline to do just that. Did the retail investors save AMC?
9: We had saved AMC first by raising a lot of money. But then the retail investors arrived in huge numbers. And yes, they saved AMC. And that's when they saved AMC. Because of the retail investors, we raised another $1,250,000,000 in May and June of 2021. And that last billion dollars is what really will, I think, guarantee that we survive through this pandemic.
6: It's always interesting when a CEO calls, his own company's valuation massive. We've got much more from Aaron, including whether there was a secret message behind him not wearing pants during that infamous YouTube interview. We also talked to the top influencers in Ape Nation, delve into why the apes are fighting for a more fair market for the retail investor. You can watch it on YouTube as well as CNBC.com.
4: Melissa, I'm so excited to watch this. And as someone who covers the movie industry, what's been so fascinating to me is how distinct from the fundamentals of the movie industry all the movement in AMC shares has been. So my question is, did you get a sense of what some of the changes are that he's going to want to make to the actual business itself and how far from broadcasting or streaming movies and showing movies it's going to go.
6: You heard that he wanted to be more, he wants to shape AMC into much more than a movie theater company. We've already heard about streaming or showing sports events, which could be another use for the AMC theaters. He's tapping into what the retail investors have to say. He's given Twitter polls. He's giving, giving a say to the Twitter folks out there in Ape Nation as to what they want to see. And one uh, idea that he's taking under consideration is NFTs of commemorative movie tickets, things like that. So really going heavy into crypto. We know that they're already accepting crypto um, at the movie theater. So, Julie, it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see what can be done to transform this company. But he's certainly got a little bit of a cash cushion at this point, at least, to do that.
1: Yeah. Uh, and that's uh, been hard, hard one. Fascinating to hear it directly from uh, from Adam. And Melissa, we can't wait. Uh, the documentary is out now on our CNBC YouTube page and at cnbc.com Julia.
4: And after the break, investing in the metaverse, it's not just Facebook. Other ways to think about hardware and software in the space. Plus, Tesla is not the only EV name to keep an eye on. Chinese company Xpeng Motors is up 30% in a month and higher this morning after delivering more than 10,000 cars for the second month in a row. Stay with us.
7: Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case...
0: Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds.
7: Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now.
0: Canva.com, designed for work.
2: Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm John Fort with Carl Quintanilla and Julia Borston. Stocks are mixed right now. S&P 500 is about flat. Uh, Dow and NASDAQ marginally higher. Russell 2000 is up 2% after we hit new record highs earlier this morning. It's the mega caps that are dragging us lower within tech, specifically Adobe down 2 percent, Alphabet, Microsoft, Netflix, all down more than a percent. More on that in a moment. But first, let's get to a news update from the one and only Sue Herrera. Hey, Sue.
10: Good morning, John. Nice to see you. Good morning, everybody. Here's what's happening at this hour. Barclays CEO just Daly has stepped down. He is leaving the bank after a dispute with British regulators over how he described his ties with convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein. A two-year probe did not find Staley new about Epstein's alleged sex trafficking. And if Staley is found to have misled regulators, he could face a fine, a ban from Britain's financial industry, or both. He plans to contest those findings. American Airlines reducing flight disruptions caused by strong winds. Nonetheless, American has canceled 11% of its flights today, and another 7% have been delayed. Harley-Davidson shares soaring following a deal to end U.S. tariffs on European steel and aluminum. That agreement should end the EU's retaliatory tariffs on American motorcycles. Harley had expected tariff expenses of more than $200 million next year. And U.S. manufacturing growth fell less than expected in October, but the ISM Manufacturing Index still dropped to a 16-month low, the transportation sector posting some of the weakest growth as supply constraints continue. You are up to date. That's the news update. Haven't said that for a while. Carl, I'll send it back to you. <laughs> uh, what a joy to see you on our air, Sue. Uh,
11: it's great you, to see you too.
1: We did hit new record highs for the Dow S&P Nasdaq today. The
12: Nasdaq now up about three-tenths of a percent. Josh Lipton's at the Nasdaq with what's moving. Hey, Josh. So Carl, let's start here with CrowdStrike, the team at BTIG downgrading that one to neutral, pointing to increasing competition and prospects for slowing growth. That stock about 10% now off its high, but still up around 30% in 2021. Our own Jim Cramer says maybe the easy money has now been made in cybersecurity stocks, though Jim still likes Palo Alto Networks right near its all-time highs here and up about 40% this year. Also worth highlighting on Semiconductor, reporting and moving higher, Q3 Results, and Q4 guidance above expectations. That one up more than 60% now in 2021. Remember, NXP is reporting results after the bell as well. It's up around 30% this year, about about 10% off its August high. And we'll end here on Sonos, also enjoying day in the green. It's up about 45% so far this year now. Barron's noting that demand for its products has soared in the past year and its growth, so Barons at least argues, is not yet reflected in its stock price. Back to you, Will.
4: I, I know, but I want to be respectful. And let's come back to Facebook's name change, now Meta. Our next guest is calling it a a new battle for both hardware and software and a sign that Mark Zuckerberg doesn't want his destiny controlled by hardware companies such as Apple. With us now is Wall Street Journal tech columnist and CNBC contributor Joanna Stern. Joanna, give us your big picture reaction to this name change, the big event last week. What should we take this all to mean about what Facebook, I mean Meta, is going to be all about in the next five or 10 years.
0: I will, but I get a pass for calling it Facebook, right? On my first appearance, now that it's called Meta, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very worried I'm gonna be confusing the names. But yes, to me, I watched this presentation last week and all I could see was Mark Zuckerberg wanting to go after Tim Cook's head or or literally the headset business. And how it's gonna evolve in the next five to 10 years. And to me, Mark Zuckerberg and the future of meta is all about controlling that hardware and operating system combo because we are seeing the results right now of them not being able to do that specifically on the iPhone and the impact of the app ad transparency ad tracking transparency decision and the fact that more and more people are not opting into tracking and that is hitting Facebook's bottom line. So if you're building on the future you're thinking I've got to control this hardware and I've got to control this operating system And I've got to control this thing called the metaverse.
4: Yeah, Joanna, um, Zuckerberg made a not so veiled dig at Apple and Tim Cook when he said, we are going to be subsidizing these headsets. We're going to be charging no or low fees. We're going to be doing this at cost so we can help drive the growth of this ecosystem. And we want to be a kinder, gentler kind of platform. So I wonder what you make of that. And with that in mind, if they are going to be really eating these costs, at what point Facebook can Sorry, Meta can really start making money <laughs> on this it. new platform.
0: <laughs> no, totally. And that dig makes a lot of sense, right? Because that's how Meta, sorry, I almost said Facebook. I'm really, I'm really trying here. They have been positioning themselves previously, right? Is this anti-high um, cost, expensive gadget, walled garden ecosystem, right? Because that's Apple. You need to have a lot of money to buy the iPhone, to buy the Macs, to buy the iPads. That's not that. And and that will probably continue to be Apple's strategy, right? And probably it will be. That is what has made Apple so successful. Meta is saying, no, we're going to we're going to foot that bill. We're going to have all sorts of other ways of subsidizing, obviously, ads being one of the major ones. And that is going to that is going to make the metaverse more accessible to everyone. To me, the big question is, why do people want to be in the metaverse? And I am not sure anyone knows the answer to that yet.
2: Yeah, Joanna, on behalf of investors, I am highly skeptical because has Facebook ever made a great piece of hardware? Like there are, there's a generation of tech companies out there, Facebook, Amazon, Google, who think they're hardware companies because they make a bunch of hardware that they subsidize with other businesses. And for a while, like Amazon was even trying to dig at Apple saying, oh, well, we like to make money when people use our stuff. We don't want to charge a lot. It's good that Apple, Apple can charge a lot for its hardware. It's because people like it, and, and that's why the stock price is so high. I mean, it, isn't it kind of weird that there are all these companies acting like they're going to be hardware companies when I don't know if they've ever made a great piece of hardware?
0: I totally agree with you, John. I think the difference here is, is that they had acquired a great hardware company or the start of a great hardware company in Oculus, right? And so in the Oculus space, in the headset space, really no one is doing what Facebook or Meta has been doing. The headset is superior. Yes, the cost is also superior, right? It's not as expensive as a high-end HTC or PlayStation headset. So that has allowed Meta to really get hit into this consumer space. Again, come back to that question, what are we doing with these headsets on? But I totally agree with you on the hardware end. I mean, they've they've done the glasses now. They've done these Ray-Ban glasses. They've done the portals. Those are Those are decent hardware, but ultimately they're they're not the sort of caliber that we've seen from Apple or even a Samsung.
1: Joanna, a lot of people are making the point uh, that Facebook meta don't conflate Facebook meta with the metaverse. They are building for the metaverse, which is larger than just Facebook meta. Uh, I wonder who you think is going to be next to sort of pile on and say we're building
0: for it, too. I think all the big tech companies are going to say they're going to build on it. I'm not sure they're going to use the word metaverse. I think this is a a semi-nerdy term and uh, also sort of dystopian for the people that know what it is. I think you're going to have all of the big tech giants saying, we are also building for this, right? Whether it's AR or VR, mostly AR. Uh, we, We know Apple's working on it. We Pretty much know Google's working on it, especially with the move in Pixel to create their own silicon. That's not just a bet to work on smartphones, I would think, for the future. Uh, Certainly Snap with their glasses and and already sort of the lenses they have in their Snap app. I spoke to Evan Spiegel about this a couple of weeks ago, and he was very clear. He didn't really like the word metaverse because he said, well, that's sort of an escape from the real world. I want to build software that overlays the real world.
4: Well, Joanne, it seems like there are two versions of this, right? There's the augmenting, overlaying on the real world, and then there's a separate virtual world. And with all of those companies jumping into this, you know, Apple building its own version of a headset, which of these companies is best positioned to be the dominant winner in this new metaverse? Does Facebook have a first-mover advantage here, or will Apple be
0: able to quickly overtake them? I think Facebook has a first-mover advantage, again, because they've had this hardware. They've had the Oculus out. They have the ecosystem of these apps, right? They just built, they just bought the company that makes Supernatural, the, the popular VR workout app. They know that that's popular because they own the Oculus store. They see what's building. So that gives them that advantage right now. That said, we can never count out Apple. They are superior at making the hardware and the software together. I also wouldn't count out Microsoft because they've said, first of all, they want to go into AR space for consumers And remember, they've been sitting out of the smartphone space, so they've spent a lot of time working on this, while the other companies have been working very hard in the smartphone space.
4: Well, a fascinating new industry for us to watch, and also for those antitrust regulators to watch. Joanna, thank you so much for joining us. I think second (laughs) wife.
2: Second Life uh, has the first mover advantage, I think. Anyway, Guggenheim <laughs> lowering its <laughs> estimates for Amazon as it forecasts nearly $4 billion in added labor and supply chain costs in Q4. And that's not the only bill coming due for big tech. We'll have more on the international tax agreement that could cost names like Apple billions right after this break. They'll go away.
1: G20 leaders endorsed a new global minimum tax of 15% over the weekend. It's a major milestone, but only half the battle. Negotiations are still underway over taxing big tech in particular. Our Elon Moy spoke with the Treasury Secretary this morning about what comes next. Hi, Elon.
13: Well, good morning, Carl. The world's most profitable companies are going to have to face some trade-offs under this agreement, including America's tech giants. Yellen told me she expects this, though, to be a net win for U.S. businesses.
4: Especially the large technology companies that have been um, affected by uh, an array of unilaterally imposed digital services taxes uh, in recent years, Um, they will see a more stable tax environment that um, will be conducive to their
10: uh, doing business. I expect them to be supportive of of the agreement and hope that other American businesses will as well.
13: Now, on one hand, there will be a higher rate in countries such as Ireland, which Yellen is visiting today, and where names like Apple, IBM and Twitter have made their home in Europe. The companies will also have to redistribute where they pay those taxes. So instead of basing it on the physical location of a business, every country will get a cut depending on the amount of sales and number of users. In return, countries promise not to target big tech with punitive taxes. Now, I spoke with Irish finance minister Pascal Donahue as well today, and he said that certainty is valuable.
3: They will know how much more they will be paying and they can be confident that disagreements on these issues will not spill over into bilateral tax disputes or even trade difficulties or tension in the future.
13: But the details of this part of the deal have not yet been finalized, guys. The goal is for it to go into effect in 2023,
4: but some countries aren't so sure they're going to make it. Back over to you. Thanks so much, Elon. Great reporting. NASDAQ 100 heading higher. Thanks to host of Chinese companies, Pinduoduo, J.D. Baidu leading the charge there. It's important to keep in mind, though, all those stocks are still at least a quarter off their highs. Stay with us.
2: Robinhood shares now almost 60% off their highs of the year, thanks to a slowdown in the company's crypto revenue. We will check in on the space with $20 billion crypto exchange Kraken after the break. Don't go away.
1: We'll get a check on the crypto trading space when Coinbase reports next week. We've already seen a slowdown when Robinhood announced results. Here with us now, Jesse Powell, CEO of crypto exchange Kraken, a competitor to Coinbase, reportedly valued near $20 billion in the private markets, as well as our own Kate Rooney. Take it away, Kate.
11: Hey, Carl. Jesse, good morning. Great to see you. Thanks so much for being here.
14: Morning. Thanks for having me.
11: As Carl said, Kraken's a big Coinbase competitor. They've really started moving more into the NFT space. What is Kraken doing right now to differentiate as more of these mainstream companies, even Robinhood Square, uh, PayPal, for example, get into your core trading business with cryptocurrencies?
14: We're going deeper into crypto. So we've got a wide offering for staking of cryptocurrencies. We're supporting parachain auctions. Uh, We've got a Skunkworks NFT project of our own. So we're really trying to stay on the bleeding edge of crypto. We're also exploring more traditional financial services uh, through our banking license that we have in Wyoming. Uh, so we'll be encroaching on their ter- ter- territory a bit, but I do think we're all sort of converging on a very similar feature set.
11: Interesting. What do you mean by, by converging there? Would you guys offer stock trading at any point?
14: Exactly. Yeah. So, so we're getting more into traditional financial services, such as stock trading, banking services, um, you know, maybe even small loans at some point. Uh, but, you know, that's sort of uh, a smaller project. You know, we're, we're really experts at the cryptocurrency business. Um, you know, we've been in the space for over 10 years now, and uh, we're really like on the bleeding edge of what's happening with cryptocurrency.
11: Got it. And Robin, we think of as really the upstart in, uh, in stock trading. Speaking of that company, they decided or said last week during earnings that they're not going to add any new tokens until there's more regulatory clarity. How are you guys deciding what assets to list right now? Regulators are paying a lot more attention to unregistered securities. Uh, Do you expect to have to take any tokens down at this point that happen to be on Kraken? And how are you navigating that?
14: We don't expect to take anything down. We have a very robust listing process, uh, not unlike what you would have for the public markets. So we do a lot of diligence. Uh, before we list something, we have a very thorough legal review before we list something. So uh, if you see it available in the United States, we're fairly confident that that asset is not a security. So uh, we don't expect to, to delist anything. And frankly, I think if you're waiting for regulatory clarity in the space, we've been re- we've been waiting for 10 years, we still don't have it. Uh, you might be waiting a long time. And so I, I think anyone else interested in this space in getting into it is gonna have to accept that there's some gray area. And that our regulators in the United States don't seem interested in really clarifying anything for us.
4: Well, one question about the gray area, Jesse, is just how secure your customers' assets really are. And this question of whether or not they have to worry um, in that you're not an FDIC-backed uh, backed organization and that you have committed to taking care to protect the assets, but that you're maybe not regulated in the same way that some other companies might be.
14: Uh, sure. Well, FDIC only protects you in, in certain cases uh, with you know certain kind of bank failures. Um, I don't think anyone in, in the crypto industry is you know has complete insurance coverage over anything that could possibly happen. Uh, so you know I think it's just part of being in cryptocurrency. I think people accept that uh, it's it's a new territory. It's a new world. Um, most people in cryptocurrency today. Don't think the government's doing a really great job of protecting them from from the traditional financial services industry, which is not serving billions of people in the world. So, you know, I think people have come to cryptocurrency because of of its utility. And uh, they're not worried about, you know, worst case scenario um, with a bank failing. You know, they can control their own keys. They can control their own coins. Uh, People are able to withdraw their their coins off of Kraken anytime they want, 24-7, 365. There are no bank holidays in crypto. Uh, So I think because you have that option, because we're not doing fractional lending, you know, we're we're not a fractional reserve operation, we're not taking deposits and lending them out to other people, you don't really have that risk that the FDIC is really intending to cover there.
11: And Jesse, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us, Jesse Powell, CEO of Kraken. John, back to you.
2: And thank you, Kate, as well. Meantime, a lot more ahead for tech earnings as Activision Blizzard, Qualcomm, Lyft and more report results this week. You can get the latest here on Tech Check. We're back in a moment.
4: One more thing before we go today. Apple announcing a safety feature expected for 2022 to detect car crashes and auto dial 911 from both iPhones and Apple Watches, this according to to company documents. Beginning next year, iPhone users who are in a car accident could have their iPhone dial 911 automatically. The feature called crash detection will roll out next year across iPhone and watch products. So John, I don't know about you, but I think anything to keep me safe, especially when I'm in my car seems like a win. Although I do wonder if there's some sort of privacy implications for this. Apple's generally so concerned about privacy. Well,
2: this does seem like an extension of the hard fall detection feature that uh, Apple built into the Apple Watch Series 4, I believe it was. So it's been around for, I think, more than two years. And there have been stories about hikers whose lives were saved because, you know, they had a big fall, didn't know what they were going to do. And their watch said, hey, this is 911. uh, How can we help you? And Carl, this, you know, similarly, probably using the accelerometer, uh, other tech within the watch combined with AI to suspect that there uh, has been a problem and and put a call out which is similar to what OnStar has done in cars as well, but now that's getting kind of disaggregated from the vehicle itself and becoming a part of the technology that we carry.
1: Yeah, fascinating uh, the way in which nanotechnology has really become embedded uh, so much in the user experience. We got a very busy week of earnings coming up, guys. Next few days: NXP and Arista Networks today, then got Roku, Uber. Peloton, Square, Airbnb, Etsy, all coming this week. I noticed Pins is on the list as well today. Julia, B of A does resume. Uh, They did say that uh, they're cautious given the advertising lookout from both Snap and Twitter.
4: Yeah, we're going to continue to watch those advertising issues. And look, maybe we'll hear more about Pins being open to a sale, John.
2: Yeah, and don't forget Qualcomm. We had an interesting read, Carl, on the premium smartphone market from Apple. Demand is healthy. That could be good for Qualcomm.
1: Yeah, uh, Jim this morning talking about on semiconductor, uh, which will have implications for NXP, uh, but maybe we'll see how the auto supply chain is loosening up, if at all, when it comes uh, to autos. And of course, a big dose of macro this week as well with the Fed meeting and statement and presser and the jobs number coming up on Friday. It's going to be packed. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m.